Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of the Rise Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about ingredients for the impossible. This week, I read in Matthew chapter 20, uh, the final five verses, verses 29 through 34. So if you're in a location where you wouldn't have to drive and possibly risk your life to turn to a passage of the Bible, I'd ask that you open up to Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34, and I'm supposed to be somewhere probably in Mark by now. I'm reading the Bible in a year. I'm about 20 days behind and we're only 42 days in, so that's not so good, but that's okay. God is gracious and it's better to go slow and steady than not go at all. Um, So though I should probably be in Mark like 12, I'm in Matthew 20 and I was reading these verses. I'm gonna read them to you real quick and I'm gonna give you five ingredients for the impossible that are present in this story and there are gonna be five ingredients for the impossible that need to be present in your life because I don't know about you, but There are situations in my life and there's things in my soul that I want to see accomplished by God through my life that are just, quite frankly, by my own strength and abilities, impossible. And I can't do them on my own. And I hope you have dreams and goals and wishes and expectations that are not possible on your own, by your own strength. It's actually impossible. And I think there's five ingredients in this passage of the impossible, and I think you're going to need to know them so that you can begin to see them grow in abundance in your life. So let's look at this story, see if you can guess them before we get to them together, but here we go, Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, written from the New International Version, it says this, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called to them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, We want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes immediately. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. I think there's five things present. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not the most Baptist person you'll ever meet, but I like alliterations. All good Baptist preachers know how to do that. And I do work at a Baptist church. I do love the Baptist church, so I'm going to show my Baptist heritage and give you five points that all start with the letter I. I hope you're ready for it. First one, if you want to see the impossible in your life, here's the first ingredient. Initiative. Initiative. Initiative is the force within you that drives you to do anything. Now, initiative in and of itself is not good or bad. It's not positive or negative, but it's it's what your initiative is driving you to do that really matters. But in order for something impossible to happen in your life, though God is the only one who can do it, it's going to take some initiative. Because notice in this passage, verse 29, says that Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, being followed by a large crowd. And then in verse 30, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and they they heard that Jesus was going by. And they didn't see him, but they heard that he was going by. 
And so they said, you know, I guess we don't know. We can't quite see him. There's a huge crowd in front of us. And, and even if there wasn't a huge crowd in front of us, our problem is that we're blind. So the only option we really have to know if Jesus is going to pass by is by hearing about it. So we hear that he's coming by and we can't verify it with our eyeballs, but we heard it. So we might as well see what we can do about that. And there's this initiative inside of these two men that are blind and it drives them. It drives them to take a step of faith and say, hey, we don't even really know if this, it, like, we don't really know what's going on here, but but we're going to step out and hope that something miraculous happens. It takes initiative, takes a drive on the inside of you to see the impossible happen, because I want you to know, though God is always willing to do the impossible, He is often waiting on you to initialize the impossible. I mean, think about it right now. God, if He so wanted to, could heal every sick person in the world. But here's the deal. It's not going to happen unless you go. The Great Commission in Mark says that we are commissioned as Christians to heal the sick. So though God could snap his fingers right now and heal them all, it takes some initiative from the church, from humanity, to see the divine plan and the divine kingdom come to earth. That's the way God set it up. It takes initiative to see the impossible. Number two, though, That initiative has to lead to something. And in this case, their initiative led them to an invitation. Step two is the invitation. Jesus is passing by. And these people, they're calling out to Jesus. And they're saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Here's what they're doing. They're inviting the power of God, the presence of Jesus, the miracle working nature of the Son of God to work in their lives. Jesus is always willing to work miraculously, powerfully, abundantly in your life. But he is almost never willing to do that without an invitation. Sometimes he is so gracious and sees us in such death, like when we were still sinners, that he'll intervene before we even say anything. But but often in our lives, it takes an invitation to invite Jesus to do the impossible. If you want to say the impossible, Jesus really could, if he wanted to, say a word, just a single word, and it would be done. But he waits. Why does he wait? Because Jesus doesn't, he, God, doesn't God doesn't want to do all that he's purposed in his divine counsel on his own. Why? The same reason that it's not as much fun to go to a Charlotte Hornets basketball game on your own. Because things are better together. And that's how God feels about us. Though he's infinitely more powerful, more wise, more able than us as humanity combined, he delights to do it with us. Why? Because he created us in his image. And so he waits for those he made in his image to invite him to move as he already wants to move. It takes initiative. And that initiative, if it's used rightly, is going to be leading to an invitation of God to do something supernatural in your life. But but I want you to know it's going to take more than just initiative and it's going to take more than just an invitation. It's going to take something called insolence. Insolence. The word insolence means gall, nerve, and audacity. It means being so bold that you're going to say something that you don't even deserve to have the right to say. And these blind dudes, they're just two regular guys. They don't deserve to have an audience with Jesus, with the king of the universe. And the way we know that is verse 31, the crowd rebukes them and tells them to be quiet. But, but, but they, they have this, this insolence, this boldness, this audacity, this offensively 
extreme amount of boldness that keeps calling out, keeps crying out, even though the crowd tells them to be quiet. And I have a question, man. If your faith doesn't get people frustrated, are you sure your faith is big enough? If your faith isn't so frustratingly optimistic that even though everything looks bad, if you're not the person in the room that's saying, yeah, this looks bad, but you know what? God is that good. I know this situation looks impossible, but God is that strong. I know this mountain looks immovable, but God is the one who moves every mountain. All I need is the mustard seed size faith and God's going to move this mountain. I don't care what it looks like. I believe it. If your faith isn't that bold, I have a question for you. Are you sure your view of Jesus is accurate to the Jesus portrayed in the Bible? Because this Jesus, this, these two blind men couldn't even see with their eyes, was so amazing in their sight that though everyone around them said, be quiet, that though their own minds probably said, I don't even know if this is going to work. This doesn't really make sense. Though all the factors on the outside didn't make sense, they were bold enough to keep shouting. And in your insolence, and this is really tied to it, you're going to need some immovability because initiative that drives you to do something, even if it is to invite Jesus, even if you're inviting Jesus in a bold way, if you're not immovable in what you're doing, then when the voices of the crowd rises up, that when the situations aren't pleasant, let me tell you something. It's easy to believe God for miracles in a worship service. When you're singing at the top of your lungs, you know, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I see you do it again. You know, it's easy to sing that song at church. And it's a great song. And it's much better when a good singer sings it, not me. But it's easy to do that. That's not difficult. But when the voices in your own mind and from people around you and the circumstances of your life say, this is impossible, this isn't going to happen, be quiet, stop asking, he's not going to do it. Because you're going to hear those voices. Is your request so immovable that no matter how loud the voices outside of you get, no matter how loud the voices inside your head get, that you just keep asking, that you just keep calling out, you just keep saying, Jesus, move, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, I believe you, Jesus, I know you can do it. If you're not immovable, you'll never see the impossible. But if you'll keep making requests, then step five is what's going to happen. Immediacy immediacy. It says in verse 32 that Jesus stopped and called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. And what a, what a, what a, what a question Jesus makes to these guys. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And I think that should, that should shift some paradigms in our perspectives of theology because oftentimes we view theology as, what does God want from me? But here Jesus says to two ordinary men, in fact, less than ordinary men, they really were people with disabilities in this culture and context. And I would say it's often the same in our own culture and context are viewed as almost second class citizens as if they themselves had done something wrong to get them to where they were. And these men who were looked at as outcasts in society the king of the universe who actually formed and fastened them in their mother's womb exactly as he wanted them to be stops and calls down to them and says, what do you want me to do for you? And these men who, who had this initiative that led them to 
to come to Jesus and this this invitation asking Jesus to move and this request they made was so insolent, so bold, so audacious that they couldn't they couldn't be moved. They were immovable even by the crowd because they said, I need something from God and I need it now. I can't wait. It's been too long and only he can do it and he's passing by right now. I won't let my moment pass. And they say, Lord, we want our sight. And Jesus has compassion on them. Let me tell, let me tell you something. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is God. When we bring our request to God, just like these men, the same verse, verse 34 of Matthew chapter 20, you can be sure of it. Claim it as a promise. Believe it right now. If you have something in your life you're believing Jesus for, even if you're in a coffee shop, even if you're in public, even if people are going to hear you, you can whisper it. But I want you to say this out loud over your own situation. Because if Jesus doesn't change, that means his response doesn't change. This is true over your situation. Read this out loud with me. Jesus has compassion on me. That's verse 34, contextualized to your situation. Jesus has compassion on me. I think a lot of times we think that when we bring Jesus our request, there becomes this certain limit where he gets fed up with us and he's done hearing from us and he's tired of our dysfunctional, disrupted, broken lives. But I want you to know that when you bring your request, when you bring your need, when this initiative leads to an invitation and you're so bold and insolent and immovable with your request, that, that this is the response of heaven. Compassion. Jesus has compassion on you and your situation. And the same God who was powerful enough to, to touch their eyes and immediately give them sight is the same God that's present in your situation. And though I don't want you to expect that every single prayer that you pray will be answered the second you pray it, what I do want you to expect is this, that Jesus is just as good, just as powerful, and just as miracle-working then as He is today. But sometimes it's His goodness, not His anger, that, that makes Him wait to answer our prayers. Why? Because in the waiting, we grow. We learn. We're enlarged. We're strengthened. Our faith is stretched. But may we not lose our sense of expectation for the impossible. Because I want you to know something. When you see it in the Bible, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. So if we see people in the Bible bringing their requests before Jesus with initiative, with an invitation to Jesus, insolently bold in their request, immovable no matter what happened inside their head and outside of themselves from the crowd, the same Jesus is right there for you. And he is willing and able to do what you're requesting him to do. But don't expect the impossible without these things. Because though he can do it, there seems to be this process. And I think here's the reason for it. And I close with this. If it was, if everything was just, if we were simply kind of like in a test tube and God just did everything for us and we never did anything on in any way, we wouldn't really be thankful for the same reason that, and don't hear me the wrong way, I'm not saying anything negative about this, but I'll tell you this, anything you work for, you will inherently, intrinsically be more grateful for than something you are gifted completely. Um, without any investment in it on your own end. So because these men 
had to show initiative, because they had to invite Jesus, because they had to have this insolently bold request, because they had to be immovable with the voices around them and inside of them. I guarantee you this, and here's what I, here's what I declare and believe in faith and prophesy over your situation. They were abundantly more grateful for the miracle on the other side of their obedience than if they had nothing at all to do. And I believe this for you, that as you bring that request before God, as you keep making it, even when everyone around you and everything inside of you says to stop, and when he answers that request and gives you what you've been believing him for, you will be so grateful. And that's what it says at the very end, is that they received their sight and followed him. You will bring God so much glory when you testify of his faithfulness, when you follow him the rest of your life. Because who wouldn't want to follow this Jesus who is able to do abundantly more than all we can ask for or imagine? He's the God of the impossible. There's ingredients for it, but he's the God who does it. And I believe for you in your situation that he's going to do it in Jesus' name.